You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Just two hours away from the start of Showdown Saturday, Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, talking college football, nothing better. We talk some SEC, we talk some Big Ten, a great battle taking place at 12 o'clock, Wyoming and Craig Bullrich, 8-6 and six last year, making it to the Mountain West Championship game, taking on Iowa and Kirk Ferentz. This is a very intriguing matchup. A contrast in styles. I really can't wait to watch this game. You can't wait to watch it. (laughs) Uh, NFL fans can't wait to watch it. NFL scouts and GMs can't wait to watch it because Josh Allen, to me, is one of the most... He's like the Dos guy. He he is one of the most (laughs) fascinating men in college football this year because this was someone that was under-recruited, really largely not recruited coming out of high school. Now he's like the hottest player in college football. Everybody wants to watch Josh Allen. He looks like it's early, but he could be a top 10 overall pick at quarterback next year. Now he goes up against Kirk Ferentz's defense. Nice front seven, Josie Jewell at linebacker, but two new starting cornerbacks. No Desmond King, so it's Josh Allen in that passing game. He's missing some support, right? No Brian Hill, some changes at wide receiver. But I can't wait to see this kid go up against a Big Ten defense. Iowa has had some problems in the past in opening games. That's a great point. Uh, I consider Josh Allen to like a young Phillip Rivers and a, a hint of Ryan Tannehill because to me, Rivers was a much better quarterback. He did throw 28 touchdowns, 15 interceptions last year. But when you look at the loss of Brian Hill in their eight law, uh, wins last year, Rich, Wyoming was a balanced offense. They rushed for 258 yards on the ground. They passed for 218 through the air. That was in their eight wins. In their six losses, a one-dimensional offense. They only rushed for 137 yards on the ground and 252 through the air. That's the matchup that you want Iowa to take if you're a Hawkeyes fan. Can you keep Josh Allen in the pocket on third down and long situations? On the flip side, if you're Iowa, you want to run the football with Akron Wadley and James Butler now because Wyoming's defense last year, they in the first nine games, they were 7-2. and two. They held opposing offenses to 137 rushing yards per game. In the last five, Rich, they were 1-4. They allowed 321 yeah. yards on the ground. That's the matchup you, that you want to see play out. You want to stop Josh Allen. You stop him by not allowing him to touch the ball. And that that's the advantage, Iowa. Forget just the defense for a moment. You mentioned Wadley. You mentioned right. Butler. How about that offensive line? That is a terrific, always is a very good offensive line in Iowa City. That's going to be the case again this year. So that Iowa offensive line against a smallish Carl Granderson defensive line of Wyoming, if they could play ball control, that certainly is one way to stop Josh Allen this afternoon. It is, and I think if you're Wyoming, you want to get Iowa into a high-scoring game. Nathan Stanley now named the starter because this was an offense that only passed for 153 yards through the air last year and struggled. You look at the games against Northwestern. Northwestern got them into a high-scoring matchup in Iowa, and they lost that ball game. I mean, you look at what they did against Florida with a solid second so we'll see how that game plays out a little bit later. But we're just getting started. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
talking a little Wyoming, talking a little Kirk Ferentz and Nathan Stanley, intriguing battle. Whichever team could dictate tempo earlier at 12 o'clock later today will be the team that wins, in my opinion. Rich, I think it's the physicality of the offense and defensive lines for Iowa. I mean, when you look at the games they lost last year, one of those games that I mentioned, Northwestern, that it was a lackluster loss, coupled with the fact of they lost to North Dakota State at the early part of the year at home as well. I think that's going to be a rallying cry for Iowa and Kirk Ferentz. I think they start fast and look to pound Wyoming into oblivion later today. Yeah, I think Iowa wins for those reasons. I think in terms of a tempo matchup, I like Iowa's chances. I like Akram Wadley and that combination with James Butler. I also I think they have a decided advantage in terms of line play. I would still take those points, though, because yeah. I think this is going to be the Josh Allen show. Really? He might have to do more than he did last season. Right. might even have to work outside the pocket, make plays with his legs more. I, I see, you're going to think I'm nuts, I see like a young Cam Newton. I see very similar, I know, I can see by the look on your face. I can't do You that. think I'm nuts. But <laughs> I, I, I think you're going to see the Josh Allen show, but at the end of the day, Iowa wears down the Wyoming Cowboys. But you think Wyoming keeps it? I, I think they cover. I'll, I'll take those 11 wow. points. I, yeah. I think Iowa wins this ball game convincingly. I think it could be a 10-point game the whole first half, and in the second half, I think they pull away, win this game uh, decisively by 20 points or more. I see in the area, I could see 48-28, something like that, just because of the physicality of the Hawkeyes. But I did I did like Wyoming earlier in, in June, and but now, I, as I broke it down, I think the physicality and the addition of James Butler in the short to intermediate passing game. This is a 1,300-yard rusher last year, 12 rushing touchdowns for Nevada, and I think he could be an added addition. Well, Kirk likes multiple running backs, right? He right. had Daniels last year to complement Wadley, so he's got two again this year. I, I think it'll be a good Iowa team, but I'm, I'm expecting big things from Josh Allen. Yeah, another game at 12 o'clock is Bowling Green, Mac opponent versus Mark D'Antonio and the crew, 3-9 and nine last year. Very disappointing uh, team for Michigan State after making it to the college football playoff in 2015. Two things stood out for me about Michigan State last year, Rich. From 2013 through 2015, this team was plus 46 in turnover margin. They were negative last year for the first time since prior to 2009. I mean, that's a that's an unbelievable statistic. And through 12 games, only 11 total sacks. I think they can rebound this year and become in the area of seven and five overall. Look for L.J. Scott to wear down Bowling Green, but I like Bowling Green with the 17 points today. I do too, and and here's the reason why a transit just X's and O's and personnel. So many off-field problems in East Lansing. Now, I, I know they're happy to get back to work. Anything but off-field discussions. They, they just want to play football at Michigan State right now. But I don't see the preponderance of talent that I did when Michigan State was competing for and winning Big Ten titles. I like L.J. Scott, but question marks at quarterback. Defense is good, but not great. I think Bowling Green is a team that will get better as the season progresses. They're going to look at this as a chance to shock the world. They don't pull the upset, but I agree with you. Take those 17 points. And that's the matchup. You're going to have to watch L. 
LJ Scott go up against Bowling Green's defense that allowed 190 rushing yards per game last year. So that's the matchup a little bit later in East Lansing. Another intriguing battle. It's number four USC at home against Western Michigan. 13-1 and last year. Cotton Bowl appearance against Wisconsin. Gone are Zach Terrell. Gone are Corey Davis. And on, oh, by the way, P.J. Fleck is at Minnesota rowing the boat. That boat. Yeah, yeah, right exactly. Minneapolis. Uh, you talk about Sam Darnold, though. That was 9-1 and one as a starter. Nine straight wins to end the year. 31 touchdown passes. This was a USC offense last year with Ronald Jones that rushed for uh, over 206 games last year, Rich. They were 5-1 and one in those games and won those ball games by 24 points per game. You look at the defense as well. They held six opponents under 100 yards rushing. They won those games 20.5 points per game. I think this is a blowout here. I, I really like USC. Uh, Tim Lester, new coach, but I like the Trojans in this matchup. Yeah, I mean, I, I think USC wins comfortably. It's four touchdowns, though, against the team that was 13-0 and in the regular season last year. Obviously, there have been changes. They, they have a young quarterback who will struggle against that USC speed on defense. But this is still a Western Michigan team that has a good offensive line. They've got Jarvion Franklin yeah. in the backfield. They have quality playmakers on defense. And they have the muscle memory for winning ballgames. They're not going to do it today. But I think 28 points is a lot also because for USC, you're talking about their next game is against Stanford. That is a key Pac-12 matchup. It's Western Michigan in town. I'm not sure once you get to the second half of a blowout whether or not USC is still inspired. I think by early in the third quarter, Clay Helton is thinking ahead to Stanford and David Shaw. So I think there's an opportunity, even possibly for a backdoor cover. I'd take those 28 points. Backdoor cover? Backdoor cover. I'm, I'm, I'm stealing a little right. Gabe Morenci. He's not even there. on yet. He's in Vegas. I love We're the backdoor cover. What can We're I tell you? We're going to get him on in, in 26 minutes. But here's another intriguing battle. Maryland, DJ Durkin, 6-7 and seven overall last year. Made it to a bowl game. Struggled against Boston College. They lost that matchup. Going up against Tom Herman in Texas. Everybody loves loves Tom Herman, 22-4, and is the head coach of Houston. He led them to a Peach Bowl two years ago. Everybody expecting this is the playoff dark horse. Dark horse in Texas, right? 5-7 and seven last year. Rich, they have defensive inefficiencies. They allowed 189 rushing yards on the ground and 31 points per game. But they're going up against a Maryland team that did not beat a team with a winning record in 2016. DJ Durkin, doesn't it sound like he should be handling the music at, at your <laughs> wedding? Uh, DJ Durkin just sounds, doesn't sound like a football coach, but he's done a good job at Maryland. Maryland has a lot of veteran talent, mm-hmm. got a couple of quality running backs led by Ty Johnson, Lorenzo Harrison. So I think they'll be able to run the ball against Texas. Expectations are going to be through the roof this year for the Longhorns, and I really think there should be. I mean, Charlie Strong, for all of the knocks on him, he flopped at Texas. But he did a nice job of filling the cupboard with talent. Now Tom Herman gets to be the beneficiary of that talent. I think Texas gets off to a strong start. But Maryland has a veteran team. My concern is at quarterback. I thought it was going to be Caleb Henderson, the North Carolina transfer. He is still not healthy, so right. it's Terrell Pagrom. I don't know how much success he has, but I'm going to throw this out to you. 18 points sounds a little rich at this point, doesn't I, it? Well, I look at the physicality on the offensive defensive lines. Two great running backs. You have Ty Johnson for Maryland. You also have Chris Warren for Texas. Yep. He only had 300 yards rushing last year, was injured for much of the way. 
I don't want to go on the Charlie Strong tangent there, but in 2015, they lost seven games, Texas did. They were outscored in those ballgames, 273 to 146. They lost seven games last year by a total of 62 total points, 8.8 points per game. I felt like it was a long progression, but Strong was getting them in the right direction. But I think they, they can run the football on this on this Maryland front seven. That's where they struggled last year, especially in the bowl game against a big, heavy offensive line in Boston College. I, I like Texas to win this ball game by about 28 points or more in Austin. You're laying those points. I'm going to take it again. I'm, I'm, I'm really? feeling I'm taking a lot of points today. Wow. I, I will take Maryland really? because I like Kingsley Opara on the interior of that defensive line. I'm not saying he's going to be a good matchup against Connor Williams. Connor Williams is the maybe not hands down, I would right. say Orlando Brown and, and uh, Connor Williams, two of the best offensive linemen in the country. Uh, but I, I, I think Texas is going to be so geeked up for this game, they might sort of overshoot, get get a little bit off to a slow start. Maryland can hang for a while. I think this is about a two-touchdown victory wow, for we'll Texas. See. I mean, the one thing I'll say about Texas overall is I don't expect a 360-degree turnaround. They do play a very difficult schedule this year. They have to go on the road to USC. I don't think Tom Herman in year one will get this thing righted from a defensive perspective. I think that's where the concerns are. But in this matchup, I think they have a heavy advantage on the physicality for the offensive-defensive lines. But we'll see. I mean, that, that's why they play the games. Rich likes Maryland. I like Texas. We're bucking heads. Yeah. I love it. Here's a, a very intriguing battle later on today. Heisman Trophy winner Lamar Jackson in Indianapolis against... Jeff Brom, he was on the show. We broke it down about four weeks ago. Purdue and David Blau. David Blau is injured in this ballgame. Might not start, but to me, I don't think it matters. The speed of Louisville is the difference in this ballgame. Yeah, I mean, Purdue got a blueprint of how to slow down Louisville late last year. I mean, the Cardinals were not very good down the stretch. We saw them against Houston, stumble, Kentucky, stumble, stifled by LSU. Now, Purdue is not Houston or LSU or even Kentucky for that matter. <laughs> but I like the injection of energy that that Jeff Brom brings to this program. I think Purdue will gradually begin to head in the right direction. I am concerned about David Blau. We might see Elijah Sindelar under center, which would be a concern. But again, I think in Indianapolis, against his alma mater, knowing that he could basically force Lamar Jackson to be a passer in this game, I think Purdue is going to hang for a while before giving way to Louisville. I do not think this is a blowout. Louisville lost a lot of talent. I know they did. I'm not high on Louisville. I yeah. picked them at 8-4, and four and I was sipping the Purdue sauce last year. You know that with Daryl Hazel. Yeah. But here's what I look at when I look at Purdue overall from last year. They, they only rushed for 96 rushing yards per game. They were negative 17 in turnover margin, and they allowed 238 rushing yards to oppose offenses. I think they're at a significant speed disadvantage in this ball game against the Heisman Trophy winner Lamar Jackson. I'm picking a dominant performance, 56-20 over Purdue. But keep it where it is. We'll pick it up on the back end. This is Joe Lisi, Rizzo Manello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. on college football today right here from the fantasy sports radio network studio 34 talking a little college football we're talking a lot of college football talking sec acc we have an intriguing battle here taking place rich uh we talked about 
we talked about, excuse me, uh, BYU and LSU earlier. We're we going to get into Appalachian State and Georgia for a little bit. I mean, this is an intriguing battle for me because when you look at what Appalachian State did last year on the road against Tennessee in Knoxville, week number one, they were in that matchup and had an opportunity to win that ball game. They dropped that matchup 20-13 to 13 overall. Taylor Lamb, Jalen Moore looked to, to be big figures in this ball game. But I, th- I like the speed of Georgia here to dominate this matchup. Dom- you really think dominate? I, I think dominate. I don't think it's, I don't think it's domination. I, I, I'm a big Scott Satterfield fan. I, I, I think that he's going to be a Power 5 head coach in the next couple of seasons. He's, he's an alum of Appalachian State, has done a really good job. This is the premier team in the Sun Belt. We saw last year mm. what they did against Tennessee. So they're not unnerved by facing an SEC East opponent. And I think there is the possibility that Georgia's starting to... They're not going to look past Appalachian State. Uh, Appalachian State's a known commodity. But you have Notre Dame next yes. weekend, right? You have App State. You mentioned Taylor Lamb behind center. Jalen Moore. Defensively, you got T. Sims up front. You got Eric Boggs on the second level. And Clifton Duck, right. who was one of the top freshman corners of 2016. So I think there's good talent here to stay with Georgia. A lot is going to come. Listen, they're going to stack the box to try to stop Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. A lot's going to come down to how Jacob Eason takes advantage of that situation. Exactly. I think if you're Georgia from a defensive perspective, you want to force Taylor Lamb to beat you over the top because they really like to utilize Jalen Moore in the running game and then they work off a of play action. I mean, Taylor Lamb did have 19 passing touchdowns at the end of last year, but I think it's the physicality of the defensive front seven of Georgia. They only allowed 144 rushing yards per game. Dominic Sanders in that secondary only gave up 183 passing yards per game, and you mentioned Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. I think it's the speed, not only on the defensive side of the ball, but those two backs that really wear down Appalachian State. And when you look at that week one battle, I expect Georgia in Sanford Stadium to be up. They're not going to look past App State in this ballgame. Well, and, and you talk about Sony and Nick, but mm-hmm. they're going to need help. And that Georgia offensive line is suspect heading into this season. I'm not in love with the wide receivers. I don't know how you feel, but I, I'm not. I think the wide receivers have a lot to prove heading into this season. Right. So great running game, one of the best, if not the best, one-two punches at the running back position. But surrounding Jacob Eason, I think there's average talent. So I think that App State defense, which gets to the ball very quickly, they're very aggressive, very well coached. I think this could be a low-scoring game. I'm going to predict that really? in the beginning of the second half, this is one of those games that we're looking up at the television and saying, you know, Georgia's on upset alert. I think App State is going to wow. go toe-to-toe for the first three quarters with the Georgia Bulldogs. Keep an eye out for the tight ends in this ballgame. I mean, they got away from yeah. Jeb Blazevich and Nada last year, came on at the end of the year. Nada's but look, a good one. He is. And yeah. the way, if you're running the football consistently, then that'll open up seam routes for the tight end. I think Georgia wins this ballgame, to me, in the area 23 points. I could see anywhere from 20 to 23 points, 43-23. I think it's high scoring I as wish well. you were Give me 23 in this game. Well, I wish. Maybe later. We'll, be, we'll do it up at, <laughs> up, at, up at the restaurant here in Rock and Riley's. But the Lincoln Riley era begins in New Speaking Norma, of Riley, right? We, we exactly. Nice segue, right into perfect, Lincoln Rock right? and Riley. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. Bob Stoops retired after 18 seasons. Now they open up at home in Norman. They have Ohio State on deck. A lot of pressure on Lincoln Riley here because. 
A lot of fans wanting to see what to expect out of Baker Mayfield. They lost 75% of the rushing production with Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan. They also lose their leading wide receiver, D.D. Westbrook. I mean, this is major losses for the offense. They do have Mark Andrews, their tight end slash H back back. But I think if you're Lincoln Riley, you want to start fast and then rest those starters in this ballgame. It's an interesting game because it's the beginning of the Lincoln Riley era. Baker Mayfield, I think he's set in stone. I think we know what to expect from him this year. But I am interested to see who those new weapons are that develop. Rodney Anderson, I've heard a lot of good things out of the backfield. He could share carries with Abdul Adams in this first game. But on the outside, yeah, it stinks to lose Dede Westbrook, but we didn't know who Dede Westbrook was this time last year, right? I mean, it was all about who's going to replace Sterling Shepard. And it was D.D. Westbrook who goes on and becomes a, a Heisman finalist. So I think someone will step forward, whether it's Jeff Bidette, the Kentucky transfer. They have a lot of young kids who could become you know, the battery made of Baker Mayfield. So this is a good game just to get a feel for what does this Oklahoma team look like in 2017? Who are the new weapons for Baker Mayfield? And are they prepared to possibly get revenge in week two against the Ohio State Buckeyes. And if you're Lincoln Riley, you want to see what it is to coach a whole game, not just from an offensive perspective. You want to understand the responsibilities from offense, defense, and even special teams because it's going to be a a learning curve for him as well. Even though he's been there, he has to be hands-on for the whole team now as just opposed to the offense in Baker Mayfield. And when you look at their Week 2 matchup against Urban Meyer and Ohio State, Look for him to utilize a lot of players to see how these players respond in in the game and and really feel out a game plan for week number two. And and these are good openers. It's not an FCS team. I have no problem with an Oklahoma playing a team from Conference USA and UTEP. I think it's a good opportunity to kind of get back into the flow of playing football, but also get reps for those second and third teamers. When you're looking to build depth in a long season, these early games are great opportunities to see which kids can step up in the event that there's an injury later in the season. Yeah, well, I mean, I I think there's no doubt that we both feel that Oklahoma dominates this ballgame. I mean, it's a lot of conventional wisdom. I expect them to jump up early and then rest their starters in uh, the second half, get a lot of players involved. But again, anything is possible. I don't expect them to come out flat, I'll tell you that. Uh, Whether they cover this 45 uh, number here, I mean, that's a huge number, uh, especially week number one. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those games that I I wouldn't bet a game like this because in the second (laughs) half, you're going to have all backups. You're going to have all backups in the game. And and so at that point, UTEP is going to be looking to put some points on the board, get some rhythm for their guys going into week two. So that number would scare me. The one thing I'll say is, uh, Oklahoma, I think, runs for more than 300 yards so. in this game. I think Orlando Brown and that offensive line, which is downright dominant, right. big physical offensive line, I think they'll simply bully UTEP off the line. Yeah, we'll see how that game plays out a little bit later today. Here's an intriguing battle because I really think it's contrast in styles. Now you have Auburn at home against Georgia Southern. Everybody on the Gus bus, Jared Stidham, they were 8-5 last year. This is the SEC West contender. Everybody's saying it to challenge Alabama. They have a new offensive coordinator in Lindsay. They do have Jared Stidham from Baylor. But, Rich, I'm not sold on Auburn as a whole. I look at their defensive losses, Montrevious Adams, Carl Lawson, that accounted for 12.5 of the team's 25 total sacks from last year, going up against the triple option in Georgia Southern. If Georgia Southern starts fast and, and puts together an eight-minute drive in this ballgame and 
puts up points, I think they're going to be in this game from start to finish. Yeah, Georgia Southern is a tricky opponent. It's like playing Georgia Tech, or it's like playing one of the service academies in that they'll just pound you relentlessly with that running game. But they've had some personnel changes on offense, especially behind center. That youth going on the plains of Auburn. Now, one of the themes we'll talk about a lot today is that look-ahead factor. Uh, you know, that really comes down to coaching. There are a lot of teams that have huge Week 2 matchups. Auburn is one of those examples, right? Auburn next week is going to be playing Clemson. So, you know, you never look beyond an opponent, but is there the possibility that Auburn is just a little bit flat going up against Georgia Southern, believing that they're going to blow this opponent out and then get ready for Clemson? Yeah, I think so. I think it's not just being flat. I think it's the change in offensive philosophy. We spoke about it in the SEC preview. You're talking about an Auburn team that only had one passing game in which they threw for over 300 in the last 26 games. Two years came in 2015 against Ole Miss. They passed for 308 yards in that ballgame. When they made it to the national championship game against Florida State with Nick Marshall, they were averaging 328 yards on the ground per game. That was in 2013. In 2014, it dipped to 255 per game. In 2015, it dipped to 196, but in their six losses, it was 158 yards on the ground. They got it back up to 271 last year, and now with Clemson week number two, you want to change the offensive philosophy. To me, that's where the inconsistency occurs. You think this will be like a laboratory experiment in week one in order to get, you know, uh, Chip's offense sort of up and running? That's the problem I have. You have a quarterback in Jared Stidham that, let's be honest, is going to be playing in the biggest landscape. Baylor, even though it is the Big 12, big program over there. The environment in the Big 12 now moving to the SEC is a different beast. You know that. And now you're going to go week two to the national champions in Death Valley. Those are the concerns I have. Yeah, I'm not so worried about Jared Stidham. I'm bullish on Jared Stidham. I like the supporting cast that he has. Love Kerryon Johnson and Cameron Petway in the backfield. So they'll have balance on offense this season, along with the ability to throw the ball. I'm curious today about some of the young defenders stepping into the roles of a Montrevious Adams. Uh, I look at someone like Byron Cowart. Big year potentially for him. Marlon Davidson up front, who was very good as a freshman last year. He could have a breakout sophomore season. So I'm a believer in Auburn. I I think they could have a test for a quarter or so, but then they're going to put their foot on the gas and and basically pull away. And once Georgia Southern is down, because of that offensive makeup, very different, uh, very difficult to, to pull back. Well, that's the matchup. If you can get the triple option to play from behind, you'll win those ball games because they like to dictate the tempo. I will say this, maybe not against Georgia Southern, but a concern for Auburn this year is their secondary. In the first seven games last year, they were 5-2 and two and allowed 198 passing yards to opposing offenses. In the last six, Rich, they were 3-3 three and three overall and allowed 265 through the air per game. That's the matchup you want to see play out next week in Death Valley against Kelly Bryant. But this is what it's all about. When we come back, we'll be breaking down the 3.30, 8 o'clock games. Keep it where it is. This This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Continuing the conversation, week number one, college football. 
Joe Lisi, Ritz, Sermonello. We're talking about a couple of marquee battles, front and center stage. We're hoping to get Game Time Decisions host Gabe Morenci on the network, on the celebrity guest line. But as, well, Gabe's in Vegas, so we know that. He's probably hanging out. Gabe, are you with us? I'm ready to rock and roll, Joe. How you doing? Oh, he's here. They told me you were on standby, Gabe. I apologize. Couldn't hear there. We had some technical difficulties. But more key battles, Gabe, front and center stage. I mean, Alabama, Florida State. We have Michigan and Florida. I mean, LSU and BYU. As a college football fan, does it get better than this? No, it's a great way to uh, kickstart the season. You know, college football started last week. We all know that, but... Sort of had a uh, preseason feel uh, to it last week. You know, the the unofficial preseason uh, of the college uh, football season. But uh, we got a we got a great slate today. I'm in Vegas right now. I'm at Palace Station. I figured if it was good enough for OJ Simpson, it's good enough for Morency as well. But there's a lot of buzz uh, in Vegas about this FSU Alabama game. And as you know, just the highest, uh, pretty much the highest ranked game in modern history as far as two teams opening up the season together. A lot of people trying to convince themselves to take Florida State in this spot. And I can't I can't erase the memory of Obama tattooing the USC Trojans in this spot or beating up Michigan in this spot. You give Nick Saban a couple of months to prepare and um, you know, he's probably gonna put you in a pretty bad spot. I I get it. FSU are really talented. I don't know if we can break down the analytics of this football game, but you know, everyone seems to want to take the points in this game, Joe, and, and bet against Bama, but I think they're underestimating Bama a little bit, and no one ever got rich betting against Nick Saban, I'll tell you what. The last time we saw Alabama, Gabe, it was against an ACC team in Clemson. Nick had a lot of time to prepare, had ample time to prepare, not an entire off season, and they lost that game. Does that weigh heavy on your mind at all? It does. The only way it's in my mind here a little bit, Rich, is the fact, who are the quarterbacks that have beaten Nick Saban over the years? And I think we can almost count on one hand the games that Nick Saban's actually lost. Uh, but you look last year to Sean Watson. A uh, year before, they, they won the national championship, uh, but just barely. Deshaun Watson had a big game. Uh, you go back to uh, Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow. I can't really think off the top of my head of a pure pocket-passing quarterback, Rich, that has beaten Nick Saban's team. It's almost the kryptonite. Nick Saban's guys are so big on the D-line. You know, he's always got these massive guys, and they, they, you know, the style that they play, they play an aggressive uh, brand of defense. You know, if you almost, like, trick them a little bit, you know, you can catch them off guard. And it seems like mobile quarterbacks have been Nick Saban's uh, issue. Uh, Saban, I was talking about this with one of my guests earlier in the week as well, and he raised a great point about Saban likes to substitute, he likes to call the plays in, he likes to be in control of everything. If you go no huddle and you go click, uh, Saban can't get his substitutes in. He can't get his play calls in on every play. And we saw that uh, Dabo Sweeney figured that out very successfully. So, like you said, Rich, another ACC team. I don't think Florida State is Clemson, though. And I don't think the Andre Francois is uh, is Deshaun Watson. And I, I like the Andre Francois a lot, uh, but without being stated, there's something special about Deshaun Watson. I don't know this. You know this Florida State are talented every year. I loved them last year. I picked them to go to the playoffs last year. 
can they step up in a big moment like this? I'm not so sure. I trust Alabama more uh, than that. But a uh, long answer, uh, Rich. Yeah, I've thought about the quarterback situation. I've thought about the ACC situation uh, a lot. It could be a close. I'm not, you know, seven points, a lot of points. I think it's going to be a higher scoring game than lower scoring game. But I'm not ready to get in front of Alabama here. Well, that's where I was going to go in terms of the tempo game. I think it will be a low-scoring game, but I did want to get your take about why why you feel it should be an up-tempo game and why I guess you're leaning towards the over here. Too much speed, Joe. Too much speed. There's too much speed on the field between you know between DeAndre Francois and people don't talk about Jalen Hurts enough, and people forget the guy was a kid last year. He's still a kid, obviously, but you know he was a freshman last year. I just I think there's too much speed on the field. You remember last year, you look at Alabama and all the non-offensive touchdowns uh, that they scored. I think that will continue. And for you know, even though Alabama is a great great program, you know, as far as you know, playing defensive football and oh, Alabama smash mouth, they find themselves in a lot of high-scoring games. You know, the SEC as a whole is a higher-scoring conference than people realize, actually. Well, to put it this way. So it's, so it's Alabama, look, Alabama and the over. 39 yeah. points per game. Yeah. 39 points per game last year, Bama scored. Uh, FSU put up 33. And the field, you know, you figure, ooh, F- FSU probably put up more. Uh, but I, I talked about this with Ohio State, you know, and I was like, all right, guys. You know how many times I heard, oh, Ohio State's offense really struggled last year. Oh, their offense, their offense. You know, they scored 39 points per game as well. So I guess they struggled. Yeah, they didn't fast score track. 80 points every week. Yeah, it's going to be a <laughs> fast track indoors. Yeah. points a game. Yeah, so I mean, and, and Alabama's similar situation. 39 points per game. Yeah, and look, they have the, the skill position players. I mean, you know, I'm not concerned about the old line. I think Jalen Hurts is going to be even better. You got Calvin Ridley. You got Bo Scarborough. I think I think there's going to be some points put up on the board in this game. I don't think the winner would only score 17. And famous last words, final score, 17-16. <laughs> well, we'll see how that game plays out, Gabe. Uh, it should be one of the best games of that's the afternoon. Over, that's, that's my bet in that game. That's my bet, Joe. Bet, bet the over in that game. Okay, so we'll see how it plays out. It's an 8 o'clock Eastern kick. Gabe, we're going with your heart here. Michigan and Jim Harbaugh against Jim McElwain minus half the team in Arlington later today. Yeah, well, it's hard not to like Michigan due to the fact that, as you stated, you know, the Florida Gators have 10 players suspended, if not more in the last couple hours. I don't know. <laughs> like, at this rate. Uh, at this rate. And I've got to tell you what, it's hard to get suspended if you're a Florida Gator, too. You really have to do something. <laughs> like, it's not like, you know, oh, he was late for practice, he missed a class. No, no, you really have to do something to get suspended uh, in Gainesville. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Revenge spot from a couple of years ago. Remember Harbaugh uh, beat the crap out of these guys in a bowl game. You know, McElwain remembers this. I just don't know if he can do anything about it. And, you know, the old the old saying, you know, if you got two quarterbacks are going to play, you got three quarterbacks are going to play, it doesn't mean you have one good one. And I you know no disrespect to the three kids uh, that play for the Florida Gators, but it's a weird situation right now. I mean, Felipe Frank's going to be starting, but is everyone really going to play? You know, I assume that Zaire would be able to take this job over. I, I have confidence in Jim Harbaugh as well. I think, I, think, I think Michigan are being a little bit underestimated coming into the season, to be honest with you guys. To me, Michigan are a top-ten team. I mean, I don't know, the AP poll, are they 11th? 
12th, whatever. I, I don't think there's you know eight or nine football teams better than them. Yeah, they're starting over on the defensive side of the football. 76% of the games, uh, the starts last year uh, were by you know juniors or seniors or guys that are in the NFL right now, and I get it. But without being stated, I think Michigan finds a way. Now, this one, and I, I always tell you guys, I like the over, I like the over, I like the over. This is a football game that I don't think there's going to be a lot of points. Yeah. I think 17 points could win this football game. But I think Michigan find a way of getting it done. You know, Harbaugh, similar situation. You give Harbaugh months to prepare for a football game. And don't forget, Michigan's coming off a couple of losses in a row. They should have beaten Ohio State last year. They didn't. That was a bad call. J.T. Baird didn't get a first down. Uh, and then you had the, the wild bowl game uh, last year. I just don't see Harbaugh losing three in a row. I think Michigan are flying under the radar in this spot. But the betters are aware of this. I mean, the, the, the spread's up to five points at some spots right here. I haven't met anybody in Vegas in the last 24 hours that says, you know what, I love the Florida Gators in this game. Uh, I met a lot of people like the Florida State Seminoles tonight plus the points. But, you know, the betters, it's funny, the public and the mainstream media seem to be making an argument uh, for the Florida Gators. But the betters down here in Vegas, everyone likes Michigan, and I'm one of them. I think Michigan win this game. Let's say twenty to ten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the yeah. most yeah, low scoring for a college game, but I think that's the ballpark we're looking at. Let's quickly shift over to LSU BYU game move from Houston because of the hurricane uh, over to New Orleans game. Uh, uh, BYU did not look good in Week One, but they do have a game under their belt. Uh, what are your expectations for nine thirty Eastern tonight between the uh, Tigers and the Cougars? You know, this one actually intrigues me in the sense that. People are really, really, really judging what they saw BYU do last week. And, you know, and I wonder, we can't forget, listen, Portland State knocked people off in the first week of the season in the past. Yeah, did they look great, BYU? No. But at the same point in time, they won the football game. They were in control of the football game. So I almost think there was an overreaction to last week. And I don't really have a lot of analytics to back this up. It's more of a gut feel, Rich, in the sense that, you know, I think people are putting too much stock into what happened last week. I mean, really, BYU and Portland State, it was basically a preseason game. So, you know, we're almost going to get to the point, well, are we going to bet for or against an NFL team because of what happened in the last week of the preseason? That's almost what I feel with BYU. I always like, you know, the BYU guys on the road because they're not kids. You know, they're, they're grown men. They can handle the situation. They can handle the situation of the game being moved. But at the same point in time, you know, LSU is going to just be quicker, faster, better. I just don't know if the LSU Tigers have the offense to pull away. This is a dangerous one. I really like the FSU-Alabama game to go over the number. I really like Michigan. And for the record, an Alabama-Michigan money line parlay, I think, is the way to go. This one's the trickiest one out of the three. I'm trying to talk myself into taking BYU here just because I don't know if LSU's offense can pull away. Can, you know, is LSU built to win by we'll, 15 We'll points? come right back, I'm Gabe. We'll so see sure. you next segment. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
just about an hour away from the start of week one kickoff. Joe Lisi, Ritz, Sermonello got great insight from Game Time Decisions host Gabe Morenci. He gave us his picks for the marquee games later today. But I want to stick with LSU and BYU. That's an intriguing ball game, Rich, because I really feel Tanner Mangum can attack that LSU secondary minus Jamal Adams and Tredavious White. I think it could be a high-scoring game as well without Arden Key if they can't generate a consistent pass rush. This could be a a back-and-forth affair. I think LSU wins, but it is very close. High-scoring game, though, 38-31, LSU prevails. Uh, I would be shocked if there's that many points. I mean, for for it to be 38-31, you're going to need non-offensive touchdowns. Always a possibility, impossible to predict. But when I think about the personalities of these programs, you're talking about run the ball first, physical defenses, quality defensive play. I think it's a much lower scoring game, though I agree with you. Gabe needed to try to convince himself to take BYU. I like BYU plus the two touchdowns because he mentioned it. BYU was like a preseason game. They didn't show much last week. I think they go step for step with LSU, which is going to take some time before Matt Canada and this offense are able to turn the corner. Well, that's what I feel. I think the matchup, you look at BYU allowed 250 passing yards per game, very solid in run support, only 113 yards allowed to opposing offenses last year. And you look at LSU's defense, they were 5-0, and and every time they held opponents under 100 yards, they won those ball games rich by 24 points per game. So when you have two solid defensive front sevens, the only way to attack is through the secondary, through the air vertically. Vertically, and that's why I feel LSU and BYU alike have to start fast over the top. One quick comment, offensive line, not something that's flashy. Right. We don't talk about too Cause much. Cause of concern. BYU has the better offensive line, yes. in my opinion, in this game. I think they're slightly better than LSU, which will help Squally Canada in the Battle of the Canada. Squally versus Matt in this game, <laughs> which is an interesting uh, matchup. But right. the defensive line of LSU kind of middling by their usual standard. I'm not in love with this defensive line, especially without the edge pressure of Arden Key. So I, I Gabe was spot on. People are overreacting to week one against Portland State. I think BYU puts a scare, even in New Orleans. Yes. Even in New Orleans. I, I, think, I think they put a scare in That's a 9.30 kick later tonight, but we'll see how that one plays out in New Orleans, the Superdome there. Akron now, my good friend Terry Bowden on the road in Happy Valley. you got James Franklin and the Nittany Lions. They went in there three years ago. They were trailed 7-3 at the half. I was on the sidelines. They lost that matchup 21-3. When you look at this offense for Penn State, Saquon Barkley, Trace McSorley, I think Penn State wins, but it is very, very close. Keep an eye out for Warren Ball. Uh, For a change, I'm going to take the favorite. I I like Penn State to roll in this game. Really? Now, well, we'll see. But but bet you a cup of coffee a little bit later in the show. Northwestern in Nevada. Nevada won five games last year against opponents, FBS opponents, with a combined overall record of 10 and 28, 208 winning percentage. For me, Clayton Thorson, Justin Jackson, way too much. They dominate dominate this matchup by 30 points or more. Yeah, I like Northwestern for the entire season. It begins today. I think they're sharp in this first effort. Jay Norvell has some issues at Nevada that won't be worked out in Evanston. Kentucky Southern Miss rematch of last year. Kentucky led this game 35-10 at the half before Southern Miss rolled off 34 straight unanswered to win 44-35. 
Benny Snell, Steven Johnson, don't let it happen on I in, agree. in Hattiesburg. They dominate by Revenge 13. game. I like Kentucky in this game. Underrated team out of the SEC East. Here's one. Vanderbilt and Middle Tennessee State. Another rematch. Vanderbilt dominated in Nashville last year. I like Vandy in this matchup. I like the Blue Raiders. Brent Stockstill to Richie James. One of the best pitch and catch combos in the country. Keep an eye out for that. We're just getting started. We'll talk about the Sunday and Monday games next. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Network.